Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. So as I said, we're coming to the end of this sermon series on the, on the windows, and I've got to tell you right out of the gate that... Um, when, it, when worship team, you know, I kind of said to them, I said, what, what should I preach on? Because I'm here to tell you, just because the preacher thinks it's a good idea to preach on, it doesn't mean it's necessarily a good idea. And certainly there are other things that the preacher doesn't see that ought to be preached on. So when I said to them, what should I preach on? They said the windows. I was like, okay, we can do this. But I was a little piece of me that was afraid of this because I'm like, I doubt this is the first time this series has happened. And, it, and there's a little tiny part of me that feels like this is a test. Like, let's see if he can get these windows right. All right, why he's standing up there. So, but what I've been pleasantly surprised about is how much I have learned and how much my soul has kind of been filled up by doing this. And I hope in some way, maybe I've, you know, maybe I've hit on some things that are really meaningful to you. And hopefully I've hit on some things that are brand new to you and maybe invite you to see this space and the work that we do in it in a different way. And so if, if you're new, we were doing the two in the middle over here. We did the cross and the anchor. Last week we did the four gospel writers, which leaves us only two for the rest of, the, for the rest of this series. We finally come to the end as we handle the two in the middle on the back, which of course will immediately um, present themselves obviously as communion to my left, your right, and baptism to my right, and I suspect your left. We're going to do the sacraments today. And some of you are going, oh no, we're turning Sam loose on the sacraments. Yes, we are. So my question to you, what is a sacrament? What is it? What does it do? What is it supposed to do? This understand, we use this word, and it's a word that really only is church life. Like, I don't know if you walk around in, like, your work day going, you know, well, we've got this sacrament of the presentation, and, you know, I've got this PowerPoint sacrament that I have to do. Like, we don't do this. It's a word that is limited to us. And because it's limited to us, it carries a lot of meaning. We need to know what it is and what we mean when we say it. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not good enough when I say, what is a sacrament to go baptism and communion? Because that's what I was taught in confirmation. Yes, I know. But what do they do? There's a lot of good definitions. But I turned to a spot that I don't go to all that much. But I was like, I wonder what some of the catechisms have to say. I went to a Lutheran seminary. So I already know what Luther says. I'm, Luther, whatever. We're going to turn to a different one today. I'm going to turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a little more in sort of the Reformed tradition. Now, Heidelberg Catechism defines the sacrament this way. It says, they are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use, God might more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. And even though I don't go to the Heidelberg Catechism all that much, I was like, boom, that is a solid definition. They were instituted by God. These are not our ideas. So that by their use, he might more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. Do you hear the direction? Sacraments are not what we do for God. They are gifts that God gives for us. And he says, seal in us the promise of the gospel. 
And here's the problem. Gospel is another word that other than some music people, if you'll leave that aside for a second. Gospel is a word only we use. What is that gospel? God grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. That is what the sacraments do. They seal that in us. In other words, just like the four gospels we talked about last week where they see in front and they see behind, the the sacraments point ahead to everlasting life precisely because they point back to the cross. The sacrament never leaves sort of the, the, the orbit of the cross, ever. But they are not merely a sign or a symbol. As if like, well, you know, when we baptize, like we remember the cross. No, sacraments are more than that. They do not simply represent. So for instance, an Orioles logo goes... An Orioles logo is a wonderful symbol of the team, but the Orioles logo doesn't play first base. So it, and sometimes we think that's what the sacraments are. They're just kind of a logo or a reminder. No, no, no. Sacraments participate in the reality they present and the reality they claim. They participate in it. So when we baptize, we come to the cross. When we commune, we come to the cross. And you're like, that sounds weird. I didn't see Jesus nailed up here. I know it is mystical in its sense, but because it is mystical, it is powerful in its possibility. The sacraments are the cross made present to us so that we can participate in it. Let me say it again. The sacraments are the cross, that cross, that cross, the Jesus Good Friday cross, that one moment where humanity was saved, it is the cross made present to us so that we can participate in it. And this is the great wisdom and the great glory of God, that just as in the person of Christ we see God's nature inhabiting a human body, we see this infinite, this infinity in frailty, So even in the scriptures, these divine words are hidden in and among these human words. So too, the reality of the cross, the the single most important thing in all of history is made present to us in what? Bread, wine, water. Simple things. Ordinary things, but an extraordinary reality. You're like, this all sounds very mystical and, and kind of highfalutin. Yeah, actually, Yeah, because we are making powerful claims about reality and about how God interacts with people. God is not limited by time. God is with us now. Christ is with us now. And so with that understanding, let's think about these two windows for a second. Start with baptism, because our lives kind of start with baptism. The great Orthodox theologian, Alexander Schmemann, wrote these words, and I'm going to come back to Schmemann again, but he writes these words about baptism. He says, the first act of the Christian life is a renunciation. It is a challenge to ourselves. Again, the first act of the Christian life is a renunciation. What he's saying is that we say no to something so that we can say yes to something else. And this is what baptism is. In baptism, we say no to our natural life so that we can say yes to the life of God. Shmemon continues, No one can be Christ until he has first faced evil and then set himself up ready to fight it. We're going to go on a different path. That's what baptism says. You've got to be ready for that path. 
And in baptism, we are joined to Christ's life by being joined to his death. Back to the cross. In baptism, we are joined to Christ's life by being joined to his death. The Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Not his life, but his death. So that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we might walk in the newness of life. You see, Christ, it's a gift to us from Christ. Because he went down into the water first. Not because he needed to be baptized, but because he was hallowing water for us. And when he comes up out of it, he heard God's affirmative love. And in baptism, we are joined to Christ. In baptism, we go down into death and we come up in life. And for the rest of our lives, we are called to what Paul says is this newness of life. It is one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture. The newness of life that is always on the far side of death. And so for those of us who are baptized, you understand, we have, already, we have already passed through death in some respect. Yes, there is a physical death to come, but we have already passed through death. Jesus said so. And therefore, right now, we live this eternal newness of life. And our, and our entire life is, as what Shmemon was saying, this kind of letting go. Yes, frozen is stuck in your head right now. I'm sorry. Let it go. Wait for it. Some of you are getting it. <laughs> Let it go so that God can do God's work in us. And that is what those symbols back there are all about. I was surprised when I dove into this. <clears throat> First of all, I was like, oh, wait, there's no actual image of water. But I'm like, with the font there, I'm like, well, yeah, that's water. And then I thought to myself, wait a second, water's not the first place this has shown up in the windows. And I was immediately drawn back over here to the anchor where there is water. And I'm like, oh, let's draw a straight line between this anchor, this promise of Jesus, that I am deeper than your sins, I am deeper than your decisions. Jesus says, I will be an anchor for your soul. And you know what baptism is? Baptism is precisely that. Jesus says, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. And by the way, that never changes. Baptism is this anchor for the soul, which is what the water represents. And then as I dug into it, I was like, what are those flowers? And I got to admit, I see those flowers from up here all the time. My eyesight's good, but it looks like a white flower. So I finally walked to the back of the church for a change and actually looked at them for a couple minutes. Do you all know what that is? It's a water lily. It's a water lily. And I was like, oh, shoot, wait a second. There is all kinds of imagery inside this water lily. Of course it comes up out of the water. That makes sense. But the water lily in many religions is a symbol of purity, innocence, and birth. Or in this case, rebirth, forgiveness, and renewal. What comes up out of the death of water? Innocence, forgiveness, renewal. That's what your baptism's about. That's what's true about you, and I don't care if you believe it or not. Jesus said that is what is true about you. And I also think it's interesting, you can go look this up, that the water lily is often used as a symbol for Mary. No. Mary, the one who said, let it be done to me. Mary, the one who renounced part of her life so that she could take on the life that God had for her. Mary, who said, whatever I've got, I'm going to let it go because Jesus, you are my anchor. You are going to hold on to me. I'm going to be okay. And Mary is our exemplar in that. Again, so appropriate in a place called St. Mary's. We follow after Mary who said, let it be done to me according to your word. And then the other window is this classic depiction of communion. 
You've seen this here and in other places. We've got the chalice, got the bread plate behind it. What's different about this, though, is that it's got grapes at the top and not a host. You know what a host is, like what is usually used, as, used for communion. Those wafers that none of you like to eat, that's what a host is, the things that taste like styrofoam. It's true. Preachers know it, too. They taste terrible. But it's interesting that it's grapes and not a host. Well, the communion also points backwards to the cross. St. Paul writes, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Again, a sacrament rooted not in Jesus' life, although we value that, but in his death. But what's weird about this is we talk about communion. There's another word that we use for communion, which is Eucharist. And you know what Eucharist is? Eucharist comes from the Greek for joy. So even though we're rooted in Christ's death, it is a celebration. It is joyful. It is beautiful. It is a proclamation. And this is what Shmemon writes about the Eucharist. He says, the Eucharist is the entrance of the church into the joy of the Lord. Oh, I like that. The Eucharist is the entrance of the church into the joy of the Lord. Newness of life. Now again, perhaps we're acquainted with the host above there. That's usually how it's depicted. And that makes sense. Body, blood. Like, that's a cool image. I'm down for that. But that's not what this sanctuary gives us. So what does this sanctuary give us? And so I wandered back. I'm like, it's not just grapes. There's leaves behind it. And I said, well, what, what, what's going on there? And I'm like, and I start looking, and I'm like, I have seen those leaves before. And you know where I saw those leaves before? They are right over there. They are wrapped around the cross. That's my claim. You can argue with me later. But these leaves over here have five points, some of them, and those leaves back there got five points as far as I'm concerned. They're the same ones. Think about this. What we have is grapes and mature leaves, mature, healthy leaves that have produced fruit for the harvest. And I want to propose that as we connect the cross to communion, that these leaves are a, are a mature version of the new leaves that are just springing up out of the cross. In this way, the Eucharist is this maturation, the full flowering of the cross for us. It is the cross coming to harvest. In the cross, we proclaim the Lord's death, but we receive communion on the far side of resurrection. It's not just death. It is newness of life. And in this, the, this window, as, it, as, we, as we come to communion, is calling us not just to take communion, but to receive, calling us into the full maturity of Christ. And to enter, and as Shmemon says finally, and to enter into that joy so as to be a witness to the world is indeed the very, very much the calling of the church. It's essential liturgy, the sacrament by which we become what we are. It is wine, it is joy, it is maturity, and it comes into us so that we might go out and share that story. Which is why Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. It's not just you're attached, you've got to be filled with him. And we've got to bear fruit. That's what communion calls us to. Because we're supposed to bear fruit because we're about changing the world. And in this way, communion is the cross made alive to us. Now to wrap this up, to the full sanctuary. We've done all the windows, but now we've got to take this kind of, what is this? 
What is the large message from this? Because we can do what we all, can break it down into little pieces. We've got to put it back into a coherent whole. And here's what I want you to think about. One of the most brilliant theological one-liners I have ever heard in my life went this way. He says, when you go into a church, a friend of mine said, when you go into a church, find out what is right in the middle of the church, and you'll know exactly what is most important to that church. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it. Like, you will think about that every church you go in for the rest of your life, you remember it. Because I do. Every time I walk into a church, I'm like, what's in the middle? That's instructive. My surprise was when I started the United Church of Christ. I was like, I grew up, the pulpit was in the middle. Now the pulpit's to a side. You're like, yeah, that's, that, that's cute, Reverend. What's actually in the middle is the altar. And I think that matters. But nevertheless. But this sanctuary kind of operates on two different axes. And here's the problem, and I, I love this sanctuary because of it. Most sanctuaries are oriented, let me ask you a question. Any of you know which way a, a, a sanctuary is supposed to be oriented? It's supposed to point to the east, very good, yes. You know, this one doesn't. East is that way. Okay, so I'm like, and so I sort of laugh at like it's built incorrectly. It's not, it's not. It's like, it's, it's, it's odd, but it, in doing so, it says something to us. Because we face, the reason they face east is because east is the direction to which ancient Christians prayed. It is that first coming to God and laying yourselves down and say, God, I need you in my life. And so let's go with that. As the seeker enters and faces east, what do they see? They are met with the cross of Christ and the promise that God will be an anchor for their soul. And the sanctuary kind of works that way. Like, Yes, you can come in that side, but almost all of us enter this side, right? And even if you come in through that door, still the first thing, you're still kind of pointed east when you enter. And even, even here, like you're not pointed at the back window. If you come in under the bell tower, you still are not looking at that. This sanctuary is orienting us towards the east as we come in here to say, God, I need your cross is what matters, and I need you to be an anchor for my soul. <clears throat> Surrounded by the Gospels. How do we find that out? Well, it's the Gospels who are on the outsides of these windows. And when a person comes looking for Jesus, what they get, when we seek out Christ, what we get is not, here's what you got to do. What we get is, here's what's been done for you. Here's the promise of Christ, which is as trustworthy as long as the sun rises in the east. Those promises are good. But then we turn to the spine of the church. And I think it's no accident that in the spine of this church, we begin with two windows for sacraments surrounded by the Gospels, which face the pulpit and the altar. These are the windows that invite us not just to take a sacrament, but to participate in the reality of Christ. These are the windows that invite us to action, to growth, to fruitfulness in the world. You have been made new by the waters of baptism. God's promise over here was given to you in baptism. You have been born again. All of your sin has been forgiven. You have been given new life in Christ. It's all good. And then you are invited into this meal. Do this in remembrance. Not just remembrance, but remembrance. When the body of Christ comes together, there Christ is among them. And what does the body of Christ do better than anything else? We eat. And we are what we eat. All of that surrounded again by the Gospels on both sides. This desire, we get desire, promise, and hope. 
united with action and growth, which forms us into disciples. That, friends, is the point of the sacrament. The point of the sacraments is Christ in you because all Jesus says is follow me. Follow me into death, yeah, but follow me nevertheless because there's newness of life on the far side of death. And so allow me to end here. In our vision statement, this church's vision statement, it says, our desire is to be a sanctuary for all God's children, built up in Christ, established in faith, and grounded in love. This physical sanctuary tells us what that spiritual sanctuary can look like. Desire, seeking after God, a heart that burns with passion for Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, united to the gifts of God for the people of God, come for all things are ready. And when we allow those things to intersect, there is a congregation that is on fire and equipped with everything we've been given to go do the work of God in ways that are more powerful than we could imagine. This is what Ephesians was saying when it said, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Y'all, stand firm in the sacraments. There is one origin story. There is one renewal. There is one planting. You've been planted in that. And grace has been apportioned to us all to do this work. And Paul says, the job of the church to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is what this place is for. Maturity in Christ, the fullness of the life of Jesus in us. So friends, let us press on. Let this sanctuary speak to us once again about the sanctuary we still seek to create for others. Because for every one of us, somebody created a sanctuary where God's passion for us and God's gift to us intersected and, and made us new. Let us press forward on the twin highway of seeking after God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and participating in the life of Christ through word and sacrament. And when these things come together, we will fulfill what we say our vision statement is. We will be built up in Christ, for Christ will be our cornerstone. We will be established in faith, for faith will drive us forward into places we can't see, but it'll drive us forward because we know we're anchored in God. And love will be our guide, because love is also our roots. That's what we're called into. And that is what the beauty of this sanctuary whispers to us. Every single Sunday, every single time we come to pray, every single time we're like, God, I need to hear from you, this sanctuary whispers, I hear your heart, come follow me. Amen. Amen.